Consistent self-improvement, everybody. I am Classic Carpenter, and you are listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I'm here today with my co-host. Gypsy. And we have a special guest today by the name of Wajid. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Classic uh, Gypsy. Um, great to be on your show. Um, um, Glad to have you. Wajid. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is uh, Wajid Hassan. I uh, I was originally born in uh, Pakistan um, many moons ago, and um, my my parents lived in the slums of Pakistan in the city I was born in Lahore. And they decided when I was at the age of three to move to England. So um, we did, we couldn't afford. Um, you know, plane tickets and airplanes and whatever. So it was an epic journey of five weeks going through different countries by, mm. wow. you know, by bus and train. And, you know, it gives me an appreciation of refugees and migrants these days, what they have to go through to try to get to another country. So I applaud my parents for um, making this trip, which was pretty arduous. And it was me, my three siblings, and my mother was six months pregnant at the time. Wow. And... Uh, it was uh, it was a long haul. I don't remember much of it being only three years old, but uh, the journey consisted of different plane uh, buses and trains through um, Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, uh, Greece, um, Austria, then on to uh, France, and then uh, crossing the Channel, English Channel to England. Wow. And then uh I'm from Mississippi. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I'm from Mississippi and my wife is from East Africa, so I have a a, a deep respect for that journey here. So even as you talk about your journey here, it's it's Yeah, I'm I'm she's familiar with as far as that transition here. But even just to hear it, you know, every time I hear it from a different person, it's just Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll discuss East Africa because I've been there as well, Gypsy. Um, we'll so that later, yeah, I'm from Eritrea, but I grew up in uh, Ethiopia. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was uh, I was in Kenya in 2006, and then when uh, I was on a safari in Kenya, and then uh, we we went over to Tanzania and I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, so that was that was wow. quite an epic. I love Africa. Africa is a beautiful continent. Yeah, but I didn't mean to interrupt you, though. Um, say on oh, your- no, absolutely. No, absolutely. Uh, you can interrupt me anytime. It's your show. I know, but I I'm so. still don't want to get off track from what you were saying as far as your, in the part in your journey. I, I'm interested to see your arrival to the States. Yeah, and then uh, from there, uh, uh, we lived in the north of England until I was uh, the age of 10. And then we moved to London. And I went to high school in England in the east end of London, which was kind of the rough part of uh, London. Had to deal with a lot of uh, racial prejudice and abuse and whatever. But, you know, that's just part of a a journey of being an immigrant or a migrant, you know, coming to another country. Um, Yeah. uh, Sometimes uh, they don't welcome you (laughs) with open arms. But um, at the same time, there was a lot of good people as well, you know, so you can't 
put down everybody one you know just as a if there's a minority of people who show hatred you can't you can't blame the whole populace and uh right i got my formal education in england and then eventually i got into the technical field uh as a more into computer repair became a field service engineer for a large company in southern england and then uh eventually uh uh, moved to uh, Los Angeles uh, back in the uh, uh, back in 1987 permanently. And okay. I lived in Los Angeles uh, for over 32 years, um, so I know downtown LA quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess I've lived in LA more than I've lived in in, in England, and so um, again I, I pursued my my career as a field service engineer working for a large corporation uh, trw at their computer maintenance division in santa fe springs and then eventually i got on to working for myself started my own little business uh ended up with a um, a little computer repair shop in hollywood okay and um uh, near uh near um on sunset near highland and then uh, from there, uh, in 1997, um, my spiritual master that I had been following since the age of 16 passed away. Mm. And I, I got into a really deep depression because he was like a father figure to me. And so my wife at the time, she said, well, you know, when you're in England, you know, at the age of 15, I got in front of the school, made people laugh. And she said, well, you know, you made people laugh and your drama school teacher, she said, you know, that you should get into comedy and acting. And, you know, at that time, my parents being immigrants, they would have nothing to do. No, no, you're not doing no comedy and acting. Yeah. And science. <laughs> yeah. So, so I didn't get that opportunity. I wish I had, uh, but then it wasn't meant to be. And, and so I decided to take some stand-up comedy lessons and started doing the open mics in at the Laugh Factory and the Improv and the Comedy okay. Store. And, and you know, I was, I was quite happy doing that. Um, people like the people like me putting a turban on my head and putting on an Indian accent. <laughs> laugh. <laughs> so. Comedy is a tough, tough business, though. Even a oh, lot of people don't gosh. understand what it takes to, to do comedy. Stand-up into, comedy. Yeah. yeah. And just, yeah, it's one of the hardest businesses out there. I've spent a little time with some comedians in Atlanta and yeah, it's, it's the oh, same it's hustle. Yeah. It's a tough business. And, uh, and you know, uh, classic, some of the most depressed people I have ever met was stand up comedians. Yeah. Cause they need somebody to make they, them laugh when they're making everybody yeah, else well, laugh. Yeah. Their, their high is getting up on stage and getting, getting the, getting the reaction from the audience. And if they don't kill, you know, boy, they get even more depressed, you know. So, yeah. so some of the most messed up people I met were stand-up comedians. I remember I was at the Laugh Factory once, and uh, I was with the owner, Jamie Masada, and he was crit- critiquing the open micers. And uh, so I had this turn on my head, and then uh, Chris Rock walks in, and uh, he looks at me and he goes, he shakes my hand, he goes, hey, I see you're trying to be, trying to be one trying to be a comedian like me there i was with a turban on my head so i thought that was kind of funny yeah but, uh, 
You said trying to be a so comedian I, like me, huh? Yeah, yeah. Who is funny? Com- funny guy. Uh, I but um, <laughs> I understand the, it from. I guess from a comedian to someone that's inspiring, and it's just I don't know. I've, I've had my that. I don't know if that was the, the thing that I would, would want to hear as far as you necessarily trying to be a comedian like me versus understanding. Well, it was it was Chris Rock, so yeah, and I understand that as well. Yeah, yeah. If it was somebody else, I probably would have. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, it was good to be in the stand-up scene for a while. I mean, I wasn't a you know, I mean, I. I wasn't one of those regular guys, you know, doing stand up. But you know, I was again. I was happy just doing the open mics, um, and I actually got um, this one particular uh, place where I, I actually hosted a comedy show, and I brought in comedians and musicians. So I was happy doing all that. And then um, this lady walked into my store one day, and I fixed her Apple computer. And she kept looking at me, and finally, I just said to her, "I said to her, well, why do you keep looking at me?" She said, "Well, she said you have an interesting face." I said, "So?" She said, "Well, I'm a casting director." I said, "So?" Because I didn't know what a casting director was. She said, "Well, let's see if we can get you an agent." So she got me a commercial agent, and uh, so I guess I was discovered in Hollywood. It's <laughs> your <laughs> shop, huh? Yeah, and uh, back in 1999, I did my first. Uh, I booked my first commercial with Nike, and then I started uh, booking uh, national commercials. and And the computer business went down the tubes because people like Circuit City, Best Buy, they were, they were, you know, they were just sort of swallowing up all kinds of small stores. And so my computer business kind of went went mm. kaput. And uh, I, I decided to. You know, you thought you thought that stand-up comedy was tough. Try being a, an actor in LA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I can only imagine. I've I've heard some of the horror stories. I I drove Uber about the first year and a half I was here, to, and it helped me get a you know kind of get used to the people in the area. So yeah, I've I've met some depressed actors. <laughs> There's another you know, level LA, of depression. I don't. I want, how would you rate those? Who would be? You got your comedians as depressed, or your actors? Which one? Would? Yeah, it, <laughs> you know what? Uh, the entertainment business can mess with your head. It can cause uh, a lot of mental illness. There's depression, anxiety. Then on top of that, you know, you have to take menial jobs. And so I worked as a limo driver, cab driver, uh, sh- super shuttle driver, security guard valet guy you know just to so that during the day i I could be open for auditions Mm. so from being a field service engineer to a wannabe actor it it was a kind of a downscale but the you know the good thing was as a as a union actor i got steady work over the 20 years that i did it so i i think again being a being uh niched as a as um as east indian or you know, East Asian, um, you know, because Hollywood loves the stereotype. Yeah. So there wasn't that many of us as opposed to, you know, being like, a, a, you know, a white, blue-eyed, blonde. There's there's like thousands yeah. of nice-looking mm-hmm. actors and actresses uh, in, in Hollywood. So they have to really compete. Um, 
not saying that I didn't have to compete, but I, you know, still had to deal with a lot of rejection. And that's the thing with, with being in the business, you have to deal with 99% rejection, especially like it hurts. I remember, oh, oh the, the hard part is it's not when you go to the first audition and they don't want you back. That's fine. But when you go to a first audition and then, then they call you back to a producer's session and then they put you on a veil uh, for the commercial and then from a veil, they, you know, of all the hundreds of people who submitted, it's down to like two or three left. Uh, the, the hardest one I had to deal with was uh, one for Metro PCS a few years ago. I They just loved me and they wanted me in and I thought I had it. And, at the last minute, they dropped me, and and the the guy who got it is is uh, an associate of mine. Um, I think he, he he bought because it was a series of commercials. He uh, he he bought his house for uh, half a million dollars cash, mm. you know, so he made a made a lot of money on those that position. So, and and it's like it's like the lottery, like you had it, you have it in your hand, and then it's just like suddenly, oh, like Jeopardy, yeah. You know, you, you think you're going to win all this money and then it just, it just, it's taken away from you. You know, one minute you have, you think you have it next minute you don't. Yeah. I'm sure it, it definitely takes a toll emotionally. And, you know, as far as out here, you can see it's, it, it breaks some people. It is, it will literally break some people. I've, as far as I have experienced street performing here in downtown LA and yeah, I've seen a lot of broken people that they couldn't take, you know, and you know, they're just kind of, um, I would say results of, of Hollywood, just, they got the worst part of Hollywood from the depressing part. And then probably the drug addiction of, if anything, and then they just weren't able to handle it. So hats off just even up to now from what we've heard, (laughs) even dealing with, you know, LA and Hollywood and stuff like that hats off because, you know, well, you know, I, I, I would agree with you because I got to the point, you know, I, you know, I reached my fifties and I'm still hustling and I mean, I did okay. You know, I made, I made a decent living, but you know, I'm thinking, why am I working all night? I used to work downtown LA all night as a security guard near, near the Staples center. And I'm thinking, why am I working all night to try to hustle in the day? You know, it just got to the point where I eventually, I, I reached the point where I just couldn't handle it. And I moved to, uh, to Raleigh and I got an agent here, but you know, a lot of the work is in Atlanta and, uh, mm-hmm. in New York. And, and it was around that time that I got my book published. And, uh, so I decided to pursue that more, more of the message that, you know, that I've been f- some of the ideologies or the spiritual ideologies and that I've kind of kept in the background uh, for many, many years following my own yogi master. And I thought, you know what, at this point in my life, maybe I need to focus on that. It's it's not for fame or fortune, but just because I believe, you know, a peace I, of I mind, uh, not only peace of mind. I, I, I feel that people, uh, generally have not been exposed to certain truths, which, um, you know, um, the, the mainstream media hasn't talked about and certain aspects of truth, which, you know, have been revealed right now, which, which are fascinating and what's actually going on. So, um, 
Yeah, coming back to um, acting and comedy. Yeah, I mean, not many people make it. I mean, the the top one percent make it, and then I would I would be considered as a top five percent because I actually made some money from from the from my career. Yeah, and then you got the rest. You know, going to auditions after auditions after auditions and not happening, and yeah, it can it can definitely mess. You know, I agree with your classic. You can really 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 mess you up especially the hardest part is um i remember i did this one abc family show and the lead on that she you know the uh, the, the thing is once you book like a commercial or a part in a movie or a sitcom um, basically you know on set they treat you like royalty you know they pamper you they get your own dressing room all the food you want anything you want and then after this, after the gig, you know, you go home and you ask your wife if you can get a glass of water, and she said, "Get it yourself." <laughs> and so, so it messes with your head. And I can relate to these child actors. You know, they 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 they, they hit a, a sitcom, and then they get treated like royalty, and then suddenly the the show's cancelled, and and they expect society to 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 treat them. The way they treat they're treated on the set, and society doesn't care who you are, you know, and they they spiral into you know drugs, alcohol, all kinds of suicide. So yeah, along with so, bad friends as well. Yeah, yeah, that and, and so so this lead that the show got cancelled, it it didn't it didn't it didn't do a second season, so it got cancelled, mm-hmm. and this poor girl, young girl, and uh, you know a year later. You know, she was. I saw her at a commercial audition, hustling again. So, and before that, they were sending it to France, and they had a line of clothing in her name, and you know. So it, it, it's uh, it's not reality. It's it's. Um, I think it's an addiction, just like any other addiction. Yeah, there's something that's high. programmed into us, and we get yeah, caught into it. And yeah, it's kind of how I felt after a while. I had to reevaluate some things. So, like. With you, know, you with you having a spiritual foundation, kind of before getting into that, how important was meditation for you? Excuse Bless me. you. <laughs> um, well, um, I, I'm glad you you asked me that question because um, I, I was when I was in England. Primarily, I was raised as a, as a Muslim, and. Uh, uh, I had to go to the mosque. I read the Quran, did the Arabic prayers. And at the same time, being in England, I went to a Church of England schools where we had Bible study, Christmas hymns, uh, carols, and, and all that. And so I got both sides of two religions, Islam and Christianity. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I enjoyed both. And, uh, you know, I don't see any difference between religions. I think they're, they're just different aspects uh, going to the same divine principle. I'm, I'm not, I'm very open to all religions. And it was at 16 in London that I met my own uh, spiritual master, an Englishman by the name of Dr. George King. Uh, and then I decided to follow him and I've been following him for the last 40 plus years. And, you know, um, in these days of chaos, and fear and tribulation, I think it's important, like you said, uh, classic to, to, 
to go into yourself and and go into into meditation and um you know um and, and you know prayer and meditation i think is essential for every human being we're all i consider ourselves i think we're spiritual beings in physical bodies not the other way around yeah and uh, those things I, those things i agree with you they're very essential and i've been you know i've had a like many people have had a lot of ups and downs in my life but one thing that i did do is 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 keep my you know focus on my spiritual life and my spiritual path uh, following my own yogi master and his organization uh, the ethereal society so i yeah i've been i've been connected with metaphysics and spirituality for over over 40 plus years what inspired you to write the book um you know just like with any uh um a- a- any creative uh aspects if you'd like p- painting a picture or if you're a musician or if you're an actor or if you're a poet i think uh writing again is is classed as a, as a creative and it was something that just came to me uh initially i got an email from some company saying that um you know that they would uh that i you know they would write my book for me they would interview me and uh all i had to do was do the audio and they would do all the rest and i think they wanted like $15,000 and i thought you know what i think i can write my own book so something so it was just an inspiration and and then i just started writing it uh because again writing you know it, it, it's a creative process you can't just suddenly say i'm going to write a book it has to it has to come from within yeah. and so it was a way it was a way of just um transferring my life's experiences uh my own spiritual experiences my experiences with my yogi master some of the truths that i learned along the way and just putting them uh, in a book and uh it took a little while to publish uh i just had a lot of hiccups along the road but finally i got published last uh, in 20 august of uh, 2020 just when covid was starting up and uh it was uh, it was it was good timing because people were interested the the, the title was called the struggle for world sanity and uh, it was a, it was a befitting title in in all the chaos that was occurring Yeah. And I think the inspiration behind that uh Gypsy was uh was that you know you know t- today you know we're, we're just inundated with the media creating a lot of fear with not only the pandemic but we're seeing endless wars and hatred between races and religions we have an economic system that favors the rich the rich are getting richer and the working class are getting poorer Uh, we have pollution and we have ignorance we have we have we have we've created a world that's uh, in re- in regression so the inspiration behind the book was to offer um a ray of hope uh, inspiration so that you know to let people know that the future is not going to be like that uh, we we have actually a glorious future ahead of us um so despite what's what's happening right now uh, there are going to be major changes that are, are going to occur within the next few centuries 
on planet Earth. I can feel that coming as well. So you mentioned your wife. Where did you meet your wife? In L.A. or before coming to L.A.? Yeah, I met her in L.A. Unfortunately, we, uh, we, we parted ways. We, got, we were married for 12 years. And uh, yeah, I met her, met her in L.A. So, okay. Um, you have kids? In- uh, we didn't have any kids, um, but uh, have some pets. With <laughs> kids. Those are kind of like kids now. <laughs> yeah. I guess to kind of go back to a little bit on L.A., what was it like when you got here, when you first got to L.A.? What, what was your experience like? Well, not necessarily uh, with the work-wise, but just what did you think even from... It, it, was, it was very exciting, you know, palm trees and sunshine and beaches, you know, yeah. compared to, you know, the fog and rain of London, <laughs> mm. congestion of London. Uh, it was, it was very exciting, you know, um, uh, some very, very good times, you know, hanging around the discos at the time <laughs> and I had hair on my head and, you know, uh, bell bottom, <laughs> bell bottom pants and all that stuff. And yeah, it was fun. LA, LA is a fun place. I'm not sure right now, all the terrible homelessness they have there now, right now, and the economy and the rents are so high. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very exciting to be in Southern California. So was um, it a big? I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I remember I, I worked uh, when I was acting. I worked as a limo driver. I got to travel all around Southern California. You know, um, th- that was really interesting. Take you know, picking up celebrities and multimillionaires at the airport, taking them to five star hotels, and. Um, you know, so that, that was, you know, to going to A-list parties, taking them to A-list parties, red carpet events. And uh, so uh, that part of me, I really enjoyed hanging around, you know, mansions in Malibu, um, you know, picking people up. So that was that was very enjoyable. You, you learn a lot rich, uh, interacting with the rich and famous. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> driving uber you know you get all kind of people that you pick up from the airport and stuff it's the same thing you know, kind of but i was gonna ask what was the biggest change or that was there like when you moved to you say so you're in riley right yeah yeah what was the when, when when you left la going to riley how did you feel was it a a, a good move or what did you feel bad to leave LA or was it something that you were looking forward to? I know it was a complete change. What, what was the biggest change to you that you quite well, noticed besides the lack of palm trees? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, North Carolina, I mean, uh, I, I live, I live in a small town outside of Raleigh called Cary and it's, um, it's considered, it was considered a few years ago as one of the safest towns in America. Wow. So from the, from the hustle and bustle of the big city, you know, to suddenly be transported to, a, you know, quiet. The first thing was, I noticed was the quiet because there's no, there's no quiet in LA wherever you go. There's helicopters and wow. cars and yeah. Uh, yeah. trains and it, there's just no, there's no peace of mind in LA. 
and unless you get unless you go up in the hills uh you can get some peace of mind but um um yeah completely different i mean i still i mean la is my town i still miss la and i'll probably come back and visit but i'm not sure if i would come back to live uh right now based on you know what i'm doing promoting the book but uh, yeah a complete complete different change you know, yeah here. it would definitely be nice to have you come in and do a in studio interview as well if you're ever in the area yeah absolutely yeah but you know small town the people family orientated you go for a walk and people that's one thing i noticed when i walked down the street people smiled at me and waved and i'm like why are you smiling and waving at me? <laughs> smiles and waves at you in la unless yeah. they want something from you right they're gonna mug you or something but uh <laughs> southern um, hospitality yeah Anyway, that was just, you know, so, so in a way, I'm, it's nice. Uh, my family's here. It's nice to be with family. Um, but uh, yeah, LA is, uh, you know, again, unless you have money or some kind of stability, LA, LA can be a very cold town, you know, as well. So I've seen that aspect as well. Yeah. As far as some of the, spiritual places like Sedona and a couple of places that you ever visit any of those for just out of curiosity? Uh, I, never, I never got to Sedona. I, I used to enjoy going to um, uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship has a, has a beautiful uh, um, little, cha- uh, little temple over by uh, Pacific Palisades. I'm uh, mm-hmm. not sure if you guys have ever been there. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very quiet, serene place. Um, also, um, there's, a, there's a holy, Mount Baldy is considered a, a, a holy spiritual mountain, not only by the Native Americans, but uh, also um, uh, by, you know, my, uh, my yogi master actually charged the mountain with, with energies. It's a very spiritual center. So uh, mm-hmm. I've done a few pilgrimages to Mount Baldy and, uh, every year they have um, uh, n- not be well. Last couple of years they haven't because of COVID. But once COVID goes away, but prior to that they they would have a, an annual pilgrimage to Mount Baldy where people from different religions would come together to the mountain and do their own particular prayers and send out energy for peace and healing. So um, that's a, that's a very I used to enjoy going there. I've been, been hiking and to that mountain many, many times. So I find that very, and again, you know, uh, it doesn't, I mean, I think some of the most beautiful spiritual places, are places like the beach or the mountains or just nature in itself, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a particular temple, but uh, of course, you know, um, places like uh, Montre, Big Sur, those places, um, I mean, those are those are just uh, heavenly places, uh, you know, aspects of California, which, you know, um, a lot of uh, states or countries don't even have. So California is definitely a beautiful, beautiful place. I read in your bio you had uh, some sort of encounter. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I um, when I was in England... Uh, at the age of 18, um, I, I, you know, I, I just joined my master's organization, the Ethereum Society, 
and I had this uh, I had this strong uh, feeling that I had to be somewhere and and I couldn't ignore it. It was like I was felt I was being guided to go somewhere. And so um, on the third day, I, I couldn't ignore it. And, and, I've, I, and I got uh, a map of England and I traced my finger over it, trying to figure out psychically where I needed to be. And then, it, then my finger kind of pointed to this place near Stonehenge, a place called Salisbury outside of this place was a, a small uh, area called Clearwater. And I don't know why, maybe telepathically, I picked something up. Um, I guess I've always considered myself psychic as a child, even. Um, uh, the, I think it's just aspects that I, that I uh, got to learn from previous lives. I'm a firm believer in reincarnation. Mm. If the whole world needs to know about reincarnation, we can discuss that as well. But um, so I knew I had to be at that particular place on, on Friday um at midnight so i took the greyhound or the coach they call it in england uh, that friday and i got to salisbury at 10 30 and I, I traveled through these country lanes in the dark and then at midnight uh, i hopped over this fence near this uh near this uh, like uh, small lake and i looked up and from the um i saw this circular white object uh fly over slowly from the from the west to the east and it you know it, it was obviously a ufo and i thought well that's very interesting i guess i'm in the right place and then at 1 30 in the morning another disc-shaped object white disc-shaped object came from the uh traveled from the south to the north and for some weird reason, it kind of signified uh, the sign of the cross. I don't know why. Of course, the sign of the cross is not only it's a very ancient symbol, you know, been used long before Christianity is used in Egypt and other civilizations. So I thought that was uh, interesting. And then at 3 a.m. exactly, this much larger craft, space UFO or spacecraft, uh, came over and hovered over where I was about 100 uh, meters above me. And this white light from the hull of the craft came out and I could feel these tremendous uh, spiritual energies flowing through me. Mm. And, and I was kind of in a, like a deep state of, uh, of like spiritual ec ecstasy. And, and then the craft slowly moved away. And, and I thought the thought that I got from the experience was you know, th these beings that control these spacecraft or UFOs uh, are not only advanced scientifically, but also very advanced spiritually. And uh, they know about us, they care about us. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about UFOs or flying saucers at that time, but I thought it was a very interesting experience. Of course, being 18 at the time, I didn't tell anybody. It was something that was very personal to me. Plus most people would think, I was some kind, some kind of quack. And so I didn't really talk much about it, maybe to a few friends and I let it go. And then I thought, you know, I would, I'd like to put that in the book to let people know, you know, cause uh, now with, with technology and, and space exploration, people are more open now to life on other planets, to UFOs, 
uh, you know, extraterrestrial craft. And I think um, the majority of people surveyed, uh, you know, are pretty, no matter what the government or the, or the, or the uh, media tell us anymore, that there, there are beings uh, that are only in this solar system and beyond that, uh, that are watching us, that have been watching us for the last 18 million years. And the main thing is that they actually care for us. They're very, actually, actually very spiritual beings that care for us and want us based on our past history, which has been very, very destructive. They want us to, at this point in time uh, in the history of, of mankind, they're pushing us to raise our, our own vibrations and not regress to the where we were to become to where we were at one time, which were, which we were uh, very advanced uh, beings, not only scientifically, but also spiritually. So they contacted my own yogi master back in the 50s and 60s. And some of the messages that they, that they put through him uh, were these messages of upliftment, asking, you know, they regard they regard mankind not as this race or that race or that religion or that color, but as just one whole, uh, you know, uh, part. And, and, and they're asking at this time that we as a race, you know, stop, our, stop the madness of what we created and start becoming that which we were and which, which, which is our heritage. You know, we, we didn't come to this planet to suffer. We came here to rise, raise our consciousness and and go into deep meditative states, you know, and 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 you know, eventually gain, you know, high aspects of of enlightenment, like nirvana or cosmic consciousness, and then eventually learn all the lessons that we're supposed to learn and then move on and go to other different planets or planes of ex existence. So um, from that early age, I just got that feeling that, yeah, uh, we're not alone and we've never been left alone. Um, these days, you know, I, I can't put my faith in any politician. I can't put my faith in, in any orthodox religious leader. Um, I, I can't put my faith in, in the generals, but I, I can put my faith in people like Krishna and Buddha and Jesus, who I, I believe were highly advanced beings uh, from different spheres. And what they're saying is that we need to go back to the, not religious teachings, but the spiritual teachings uh, of, you know, things like that, thou shalt not kill, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself and, 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 going, and, and, and not being hypocritical, but actually being genuinely genuinely caring about each other and that's uh, that's the crux of the message that these higher beings have been putting through uh, my yogi master and um, so that's why I decided again another aspect was of writing the book is to reveal some of these uh, teachings that have been propounded in these days what do you think will be one of the well trying to introduce like meditation to beginners or to, you know, a lot of people are already kind of brainwashed in the daily, you know, corrupt system that we're basically in. So some people that, you know, you notice that 
they've they're they're basically spiritually they know some things, but they've also kind of went back into I'd rather stay on this vibration. What is it that you know? You can't change everybody. You can't wake people up. You can't do certain things. What are some approaches when you have, you know, it could be people close to you or people that you're dealing with that you know at a certain point before all of this, there was a certain type of you know knowledge that they had or they knew that this system here exists. And then now you feel like, okay, I know that that system existed. We've talked about that system before, but I'm okay in the 3D. How, how what's some of the ways to cope with that dealing with, you know, the time that we cuz you even over the past two two years, a lot of people have they've kind of lost their sanity on this reality that we're in. So what what are some of the I guess the tips I haven't had a chance to read the book, so I'm not sure if that's in there as well, but um, some of the tips that, you know, you would offer some people to kind of cope with that. Cause I've listened to some people that, you know, you can tell that, that whether this, you know, you're talking about the, the cold that's out there or, you know, they don't know whether to be scared or whether to go and get the help that's being offered. And you don't know what to tell those people. You're confident in where you are spiritually and you know where you stand on this rock at this time or on this earth at this time. How can you give somebody else just a little bit of confidence or guidance without scaring them? <laughs> well, um, the thing is, I, I, I think, I think we've been manipulated and hypnotized over the centuries uh, to to the point where, you know, the pandemic increased uh, fear, and fear is is a weapon that's been used by those who the minority of people in power to um, to control the masses. You know, fear, division, hatred, um, and so what we need to do is, you know, what one thing the pandemic did do it people were when they, it gave a chance for people to think and a lot of people changed their careers they changed you know a lot of people quit their jobs and they decided to do what they wanted to do i think that's what i kind of did myself was kind of get into something that you know instead of the acting and looking for the fame and fortune but more more going into the spiritual the real aspects of why we're here you know what are, what is our purpose in life and it, you know, it's not to amass riches or fame or fortune. Of course, we need material things. We need a house. We need a roof over our head. We need food. We need some money in the bank. We need a car. I mean, of course, we need all those basic necessities. But apart, you know, after that, that's one thing I noticed when I was in Africa, when I went to the villages in Kenya, well, actually in Tanzania, I noticed that um, the villages and the children were very happy. You know, they didn't have this, um, they didn't have a mortgage or a credit card or, you know, bills. I mean, they, they lived very, very modestly on the from the land, but they were very happy spiritual people. And so they didn't have this, um, you know, this materialistic prison that's been created in right these days. You know, everybody wants the latest iPhone. Everybody wants the latest, you know, 
BMW 8 or 7 or whatever. And it's just, uh, you know, the material material things bring some happiness, but at the, at the, uh, after, after a little while, they don't bring that inner contentment. And so there's two aspects of what's happening right now, um, classic, is that... Um, you know, we're, 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 what's called, we're, we're in this age now, the age of Aquarius, which astrologically is forcing uh, mankind to start thinking globally, to start being of service, to help not only their friends and family or their town or country, but the whole world. And so that aspect has been, has been pushed on us. Another aspect is that the earth herself is a living, breathing goddess which people don't are not aware of, but uh, you know we've raped and pillaged her for many centuries without giving anything back, and she as a as a planetary entity is also raising her vibrations, and so and then on top of that we have uh, in, inspiration and influence from the higher beings who watch over us. So we're slowly being asked to raise our vibrations, and so it doesn't matter what religion, creed, color, race you know, or orientation that you are, it would, you know, the message of, of the day is not follow us and do what we do, is that the message of the day is service and love for mankind. And that's, that's the only solution, uh, sending out spiritual power, uh, you know, the same healing power that Jesus did 2000 years ago to, you know, uh, heal the sick and cure the blind and, and help the lepers. It's that energy which is being asked of because nothing else has worked. So there is a spiritual renaissance that started uh, where eventually in the centuries to come, uh, the vibrations will go, will be heightened. And only those people who uh, can align themselves to this vibration will be able to stay on the planet. But there is a new, uh, a new age of peace uh, and enlightenment that it, it not might, but is coming on to planet Earth, where there will be no political system, there will be no wars, hydrogen bombs, there will be no races as such, there'll just be open land and sea. And that's our destiny. And so I believe that this is the begin beginning of the end of mankind as we know mankind. Um, so we've hit the crossroads, either we keep regressing and, and create more problems or we've we're given an opportunity now to raise ourselves and again on a spiritual level uh, just sending out this uh, healing uh, pranic energy that comes from the sun you know you can just raise your hand send out light from the palms of your hand and from your heart center and send this white light and transmute the planet of uh, this mental madness you know the hatred and the envy and the greed that's just enveloped our planet right now and the depression and the anxiety and the fear so it's a it's a mental war uh that we're in the middle of and what we're being asked to at this at this time is to raise our vibrations by sending out this white light of healing to every man woman child animal rock a plant on, on the planet. And, you know, it's that simple. It's not rocket science. It's that simple. It's not a, it's not complicated. And because it's not complicated, I think it goes over a lot of people's heads. Yeah.
to just kind of, well, I know meditation is one of the, you know, it's harder than a lot of average people think that it is, you know, as far as when you sit down for five minutes, most people are used to having headphones on and music playing and everything else. So when they sit down for, you know, for five minutes, it's like, I, I can't, I can't do it. Not knowing, you know, how much, you know, noise is going on in the head or just how much it affects them spiritually. So, well, med- meditation is very difficult. I mean, uh, you know, it's very difficult to control our thoughts. Uh, that's just the, the way we are and to bring those thoughts together. Um, if people have difficulty meditation, um, I would suggest, you know, going out to the country, going to the beach, you know, instead of like trying to put some headphones on, trying to meditate in the city, you know, go out to the, to the country, go to the mountains and just, you know, and just be one with nature and, and meditate there. I think that that'd be more beneficial. Right. I was saying that most people are used to having headphones on, just not, I mean, just, you know, period, daily. Yeah. Having, listening to something, they can't sit in silence, you know, if it's quiet for too long. Look at YouTube, look at TikTok now, like 10, 10 second, uh, you know, um, videos and, and people are hooked on and they're watching 10 second videos, hit this, that, and the other, it's just messing up their minds. Yeah. You know, just, just constant distractions. And meditation as is slowing down the mind, slowing down the breathing. And so all these distractions, you know, looking down on your, on your, on your smartphone and being a, being a slave to the, to the smartphone with all these distractions doesn't help people to re- to start realizing, you know, the truths uh, and, and our inner selves. And sometimes it's a case of walk, walking away I mean, you don't have to say, oh, completely stop. I mean, we all need a little entertainment, but not, you know, hours and hours of that. It controls you, basically. Yeah, to let it control you and just detach from that. And, you know, parents, even with kids, should have some quality time where they just, you know, I know schools in in China and Japan and uh, India and all that, they're teaching their kids meditation. Yeah, the mind, uh, breathing, and 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 so in this chaos and madness, that's what the kids need to be learned taught more instead of watching TikTok for hours on hours on useless mind, mind mush that that doesn't really inspire or do anything at all. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. definitely agree. I don't I don't know how old I was. I know I was in college when I first first learned about meditation more. You know, prayer, um, growing up in the South, of course, um, raised Christian, prayer was one thing. But after, you know, learning about meditation and understanding, you know, it's definitely two different things, meditation and prayer. Um, so I could say myself, we weren't taught or we weren't educated on meditation as far as when I was growing up. No, I think I was an adult when I first learned about it. I yeah. basically watch YouTube videos and, <laughs> and follow Well, Dr. Them. King wrote a, a very interesting book called The Nine Freedoms, and it's available on in, in Amazon. And uh, uh, people want to read that. He goes through the history of, of the world, of, of mankind. But he talked about uh, aspects of, of what, it, what it needs to, to gain 
uh, deep states of meditation. Um, and one of them, you know, is, is, is concentration, is concentrating the thoughts, you know, applying the thoughts, uh, bringing the thoughts, you know, the Buddhists talk about mindfulness, watching your thoughts, and then eventually you become a master of your thoughts and not let the thoughts, uh, you know, control you. And so that's the first aspect of, of meditation is to is mind mindfulness, you know, looking at your thoughts, allowing them, putting to one side, and then focusing on, you know, going within. And uh, some uh, yoga breathing exercises uh, are extremely good uh, as a preliminary for, for meditation where they say that the more deeper that you breathe, the more you're thinking is is stilled and and becomes deeper so um so instead of shallow breaths and watching tiktoks you can go in and do some deep breathing to calm the mind as a pre prerequisite to to before you do meditation so calming the mind breathing deeply and then focusing within uh you know i think it's just like riding a bicycle you know the more you the, the more you do the better you get yeah, you know, the longer you can like, go as well. Interesting. I was going to yeah, say earlier. Was, oh, sorry. Not to cut you off. Go ahead. Uh, I remember in the technical field, when I was trying to fix something, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. And eventually, the more I did it, the better I got. And I, I think the same with with medicine, with with meditation and, and controlling the mind. It's, it's a case of just working at it. You know, it's not easy. Of course, it's not easy. But then you get states where... You know, people like the Buddha went into high, deep, meditative states and gained enlightenment, and that's the ultimate goal. Um, in Christian mystics, the Christian mystics went into deep meditation. The, the Islamic yogi Sufis, the Hindus, the yogi masters of Hin India, you know, so the higher aspects of religion is going into the mystic, my, mystical aspects of, of delving deep within ourselves and discovering, you know, the, the, div the divinity within ourselves and, and, and realizing that, you know, we're not just physical beings, that we have the some, you know, we have a soul, we have a spirit, and it's a case of contact, the soul contacting the spirit within and, and raising that consciousness and, and, and having some contact with that divinity within us which is again our true heritage again we're not we didn't come here to make war against man or control people through economic these are just these are just aspects of our you know self-will which which has run riot and which has caused a lot of terrible suffering and we didn't come here to suffer uh, we're, we're supposed to be happy joyous and free and one way that we can do that is to go within and then also at the same time balance it by sending out the energy of love l-o-v-e out to the world on a, on a regular basis um that's uh you know i think the simple things in life uh, they say god is is the simplicity it's a case of getting back to sim simple natural aspects of life because we've complicated our life so much everything's so complicated and you know and we're just being inundated with information and videos and noise and all that and it's and and it's not really part of what we're supposed to be we're supposed to be very serene um you know
know, individuals, and we're supposed to exert this inner inner happiness or inner joy, and which is again uh, reachable for every every one of us. But you know, like Lao Tse used to say, the journey of a, a thousand miles starts with a single step. You know, I remember climbing when I climbed Kilimanjaro, the the uh, you know the, the mountain guides they had a saying in. In Swahili was was like pole pole slowly slowly you know you can't climb a mountain trying to run run up the mountain so it's like that with with meditation you you start slowly but you have to start somewhere right yeah not it's not about speed nothing in meditation has to do with doing anything fast yeah I was gonna ask um you you mentioned reincarnation. How does, what were some of the, you know, confirmations that you received spiritually to kind of guide you towards having a view on you possibly being, or just being reincarnated, us, all of us, as far as, you know, you knowing, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's a very valid question. Classic. I mean, um, Reincarnation is a fact. It's not a, um, It's not even debatable because uh, so many children, uh, especially when in their younger years, they remember their past life. I remembered a past life when I was when I was younger, which was validated by my by my master. And I wrote about that in the book. Um, there's the you know you you can research the internet. There's so many cases of re, you know of reincarnation. Um, but it, it also answers, uh, um, you know, this so-called inequality on the planet. You know, why somebody's born rich or somebody's born poor, uh, somebody's born crippled, somebody's born, you know, uh, as, a, as a genius by the age of 10, or somebody is, you know, plays the piano at the age of three. And so people think, oh, you know, wow, this is amazing. But it's not amazing at all. You know, you don't get something for nothing in life. And we, we, we get exactly what we deserve. And so these are just skills that we brought along with us from previous lives. Um, you know, if, if reincarnation was uh, actually, you know, speaking of the Christian religion, uh, some Christian scholars, I think it was, it was in the, London newspaper Daily Express years ago, they they did some research uh, and and they found out that actually reincarnation was taught in the Christian Church uh, up till seven hundred years ago, where they changed it uh, in order to create this so called one life to live, in mm. order to control the mass, in, in order to control the masses. Um, but people, you know, um, if they knew about reincarnation, they would think twice before they went to war thinking that they may have may have to murder a brother or a sister or mother or father that they knew in their previous lives. So, um, it, you know, there was a, there was a case of a, a very interesting case of reincarnation. Uh, this woman in England, she, she kept remembering her children. She died during childbirth and she remembered her children from a previous uh, life. 
and she remembered the town that she lived in. And so finally she went with her husband uh, to this town in Ireland. Uh, they went over there and, and they, found, they found these children who were now in their 80s and she's 35. And she recollected with them the stories that she had with them when they were, when they were children. And so they were asked by the uh, TV crew, they said, they said, do you think this is your mother in the, uh, you know, that's reincarnated? And, and these people in their 80s, they said, yeah, this is our mother, because there's no way that she could have remembered all these things with her children, mm -hmm. um, you know, before she died. So that was a very interesting case. There was another case of a young child uh, who was having nightmares about uh, World War II. He was a fighter pilot, got shot down, and he could remember his squadron and the names of the uh, his comrades in that squadron and where they were located. So so his parents um, took him back to, to that area uh, where he said he lived in his past life. And sure enough, it, it was totally validated that uh, he, he knew he knew these people. So uh, there's uh, and again, you know, you can if he, if people don't have to believe me. They can do their own research. And uh, there's so much overwhelming evidence right now for reincarnation that you really can't argue with it. But it, it, it's, it's an aspect, you know, it, for one thing, if reincarnation is taught, there won't be anything. People can't be into like national pride. Well, I'm proud I'm a white person or I'm proud I'm a brown person because, or I'm proud being in this religion. Or I'm proud because this religion is better than that religion. They'll have to remember that we're here, you may be here as a particular race or religion, but it's not guaranteed that when you come back, you may be a, a man, you may come back as a woman, you know, uh, you may be a white person, you may come back as a, as, as a black person in a, in, in a next life. So all this racial prejudice and um, hatred between races and religions, that would that would diminish immediately knowing that you know we're all races we come in different religions different races um in order to learn all these experiences that we need to learn uh, how can we not how can we gain enlightenment unless we understand uh, all aspects of our life and all aspects of what we need to learn on this planet so this is a great classroom earth uh, and we reincarnate life after life learn lessons that we need to learn and eventually we get to the point where we, we learn these lessons and we can become a Jesus or a Buddha or a Krishna and, and, and become a, a, an adept or a master. And, uh, and, and that's our heritage. That's, what, that's, that's initially uh, what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be gods, not, not, the, not the kind of uh, people that we've uh, got ourselves into right now. Yeah. At what age, like, do you think um, our memory of, for some of, for, for, I guess, for, you know, some of those that kind of have that little bit of memory as a youth, what age do you think for, even for most average kids, do you think that spiritually? Um, yeah, I, I it think it starts start to fade. Recollecting. Yeah, they, they start recollecting, you know, from the age of three to maybe five, and then their parents put them down because they think they're having fantasies, you know. Mm. Um, there was this young girl in India, she remembered being, uh, uh, 
she remembered being uh, um, living in a, a castle in Scotland as a, as, a, as a lord of the manor. This eight-year-old girl from India, you know, recollecting that she was a, a, she lived in this castle in Scotland as a man. You know, where do where do these things come from? You know, they can't just suddenly come from your imagination. And, and she knew in detail exactly where this castle was and everything. So what happens is, um, uh, the the as a young kid we get recollections of past lives, and then eventually, you know, the parents dismiss it, and then eventually we, you know, um, I think it. I think there's a reason why we come sometimes with. Uh, we don't have knowledge of our past lives as a reason for that. I think it's it's probably mercy because, yeah. I mean, we have enough to deal with in this life, and I, I don't want to go into a past life and, you know, no no stuff that I did that I'm not proud of. So I think eventually they say when you reach a certain stage of enlightenment, you can remember your past lives, but you can look at them objectively. So um, right now, you know. I, Personally, I don't, I don't go into my past lives or try to figure out who I was. Right now, I just focus. I think we just need to focus on our present life because we've got enough baggage to handle with our present life, <laughs> um, and you know, just our past in our present life. And so, um, but it's important to know that you know that uh, we ha- we've we've had millions of previous lives. So this is not the this is not the one and end of and uh, eventually we'll pass and there's no such thing as death we just go to a different level of existence and we stay on that level and then we come back and uh, you know on this physical realm and then we pass and go to the, the to the other higher realms and you know uh, if you study hindu and buddhist philosophies they talk about different levels of existence my, my own master dr king was able to project to these different realms of existence. He said there were six levels above us and four levels below us, the four levels below the lower astral realms or the, or the lower planes. And then we have the higher planes. And then we die. When we die, our, we go according. To, there's, there's no judgment. We just go according to our own vibrational sequence. Mm-hmm. So if we've lived, lived a life that's been spiritual, we go to a, a higher spiritual realm. But if we've been a mass murderer or, or uh, you know, uh, or doing evil things, we, we again, our, our vibration uh, goes to those particular realms and we have to live in those lower realms. So we, you know, it goes back to, um, it goes back to the original, you know, uh, law, which is the law of karma, you know, action and reaction being opposite and equal. See, people understand reincarnation and love karma. Uh, tomorrow, the whole world will be different. I mean, I, I just saw in the news the other day these four guys jumped this guy and beat him up and mugged him and took took his money. What they don't, um, if, obviously, they don't understand the law of karma because the law of karma, not like, not like um, man's law. The law of karma is absolutely unjust. Mm. So. You know, it's been said that if you, it, it, like those four guys, if they knew the law of karma, they know that because they mugged and robbed that guy, they too, maybe not in this life, maybe in the next life, will be mugged and robbed themselves. Mm. I mean, it's just that just. Yeah. That if you if you murder somebody, you may get away with it in this life, but 
in the next life you may you you will probably get murdered yourself not not as a punishment because they say you know the karma doesn't punish but it's to teach you that you don't go around killing people or you don't go around mugging and or killing yourself i know it's yeah you don't want to kill yourself either that's all that's also uh, because you know that's that's yeah they say if you kill yourself you'd be charged with your own murder um but you know i know all the all the stuff that i've done that's been detrimental in my life has all kind of come back to me as well you know i i i never i was never born with with a halo and wings we all do, we all make mistakes we all do things that we regret and and it's come back to me but also some of the good things has also come back to me so I think th those are the things that need to be taught to children in school and before math and science and Disney Channel is, you know, the law of karma, you know, you're, you, you know, you're, you're responsible for your actions, um, reincarnation, um, you know, all those things need to be taught to children, especially the law of karma. That, yeah, you're, you're absolutely allowed to do anything you want, so long as you're willing to face the consequences. So, and again, it goes to ignorance. People are ignorant. That's why they murder, they thieve, they swindle yeah. people. If you swindle somebody, you know, you will be swindled yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's you get back exactly what you put in. And Jesus said, as you sow, so shall you reap, you know. I think the Lord Buddha said, you know, uh, action and reaction is opposite and equal. And that's an aspect of the divine law. We, 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 can't, we can't escape that. I mean, you can have a great lawyer with money and you can get away with murder. But if you did really murder, you will be murdered in, in, in this life or the next life. It's guaranteed, again, not to, not to, punish, not to punish you, but to teach you that, you, that these, these are the things that you don't do. I've had um, some like... So basically... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to, I was going to ask, um, I've had experience with like having a dream at night that f feels real. How would you explain that? Is, would you say that sometimes maybe a dream at night could be connected to another dimension or another life or what's your view on dreams? Um, dreams, if they, if they're real like that, I think they are real that you had because they say that um, when we when we sleep, part of our consciousness, our astral body leaves leaves our physical body, and we do wander to these uh, different realms at night. And uh, sometimes you can get really heavy duty nightmares, which are real, and you could be actually be wandering into these some of these lower realms, or you could have uh, dreams where you know you're on a mountaintop or flying over the ocean. You know, you're on some higher realm, but uh, yeah, we all project uh, at night. Um, we don't consciously know where we go, and that's why it's important. Like in, in deep aspects of meditation, you can eventually uh, uh, project from your body. It's called astral projection, where you can have complete control of your astral body, and you and you know exactly where you've been consciously and come back into the body. But sleep is, is definitely a form of projection. And so, um, uh, yeah, those things are real. They're not, they're not, they're not a, a flight, they're not a flight of fancy, especially if they're colorful and you actually feel 
mm-hmm. you know that you physically it feels physical you know one thing you have to remember that those these these different dimensions are just as physical you're just in a different vibration now, dr king said that if you're on a different level of existence and and you were near a wall and you hit your head on your on, on that wall you would actually hurt your head because you're on that same vibrational sequence as as so they these these realms are just as physical uh, as as this particular realm is you know you sit on a chair it's a real chair uh, it's just on a, a a more subtle higher vibrational sequence uh, than this particular uh, so uh, you know you can't analyze every dream but somewhere they're very colorful and you and 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 you definitely feel like it's real i think i think it's it's a projection and and i think you are you are actually where that at that particular place yeah i agree okay yeah i think i actually tried to astral project or lucid dream before <laughs> i've you know i've heard about it on youtube and actually tried to do it but i know it's pretty tough and that's kind yeah, of how i got into meditation cuz they say that helps too yeah you got to be kind of careful when you're dealing with that unless yeah. you have control because you could kind of wander to different places and so you got to be careful of that but uh, yeah dreams dreams are just projections sometimes i'm just waiting to dream of winning the lottery numbers but that hasn't <laughs> happened yet <laughs> that, that, well, that actually happened to a few people did you know that Really? in this documentary the the woman had a dream of the lottery numbers and she put those lottery numbers and she got she won the lottery so i thought that was very interesting so uh-huh. again that comes to well destiny was she was she destined to win the lottery you know what i'm saying she had a dream that she won the lottery and then she won the lottery so then you have to question well are, are our lives destined or are they just something that's just here there and everywhere i think we i think part of our lives are predestined and it's up to us what we do i think our higher power predestines our life before we come and then it's up to us uh, if when we follow that predestination if we follow it for good or for bad but uh, you know deja vu i mean I, i'm sure everybody has deja vu where you know you you go somewhere and you think i've been here before or i had a dream that i was supposed to be here so again you have to look at the, you know are, are we are we destined in our lives to do things you know um somebody psychics can sometimes see things um that you're supposed to do i know my master uh 6 years before i got that nike commercial saw me doing that nike commercial so mm. go figure you know were we was i destined to do that commercial you know that's a food for thought right yeah it's hard to say i've no a couple of people have said some things that i'm supposed to be destined to do and it's like oh still looking at those things and i you know i guess being here having a podcast i it's still in that you know direction i feel is some of those things to talk to people like you and to learn and also to be able to inspire others is one of the ways but they before they always looked at it with the music for me <laughs> to inspire people with my music but that's a different chapter 
Well, everything's a form of service. You know, if you if you do music to inspire people, you do podcasts to inspire people. You're being of service. You're giving them giving them something, food for thought, some inspiration that raises their vibration. All these are aspects of service. Absolutely, I agree. Okay. Do you have um any any people you can recommend or any um yogis or spiritual guided that you would like to recommend for people to read up on or to follow? Well, you know, my go-to would have to be my own yogi master, you know, Dr. George King and his organization, the Ethereum Society. So uh, if people want to uh, inquire more about that, they can go to the website, um, which is ethereus.org, A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S.org. I guess we could. I guess I can give you that information. You can put up on the podcast. Yeah, we'll okay. put it in the description. Yeah. So um, another another. If people are interested in uh, sending out the, the energy, as a practice that that was given, called the Twelve Blessings, where um, my yogi master channeled information from from no less person than the Master Jesus himself. It was an extension of the Sermon of the Mount, which was re- which which he, he took through as 12 different transmissions over 12 weeks in 1958. Um, and so I belong to a group that we send out this energy, uh, like 30, 40 different countries every day. And so if people are interested in learning how to send out the light, um, they can join. There's no, there's no money involved. It's free. Um, they can go to uh, 12blessings.org, the 12 being numerical. So uh, those are the those are the two recommendations I would personally like to give uh, to your listeners. Okay. Um, and also, Ethereum Society they have courses on, you know, concentration, meditation, um, and teachings on the true aspects of meditation that people want to learn. So um, it, it may it, you know, like I say, in true meditation, some of the yogi masters they they go into this process called conscious death where the heart stops beating. I mean, this is true meditation and they've raised their consciousness up to the heart center or the throat center or the center in the forehead and, you know, experience tremendous, highly elevated experiences, but their physical body is completely paralyzed. So those are the deeper aspects of meditation that eventually that will reach down the road. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, some aspects of meditation, they can levitate, they can, they can go through walls, they, they raise their vibrations, they can go put their bodies through walls and go through, become transparent. I mean, some of the, some of the powers of some of these yogi masters are just absolutely incredible. Something that science doesn't know, will not know for many, many thousands of years. They say what the metaphysician or the yogi knows now, science you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, down the road. So it's better to follow na- the natural sciences, uh, you know, the sciences of nature and to follow those than to, uh, you know, than to explode hydrogen and atom bombs, which, right. you know, destroy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it, classic, that the, that the best brains on the planet focus in on, you know, destruction and the more, you know, latest weaponry or latest missile, 
I think we're. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you could call those the best brains then. Some <laughs> <laughs> of the brightest brains, but yeah, we've been referred to by by the cosmic beings as a very warlike, savage race. It's probably why they're not landing right now. No. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think they they would get a nice reception right now if they suddenly landed. So they're just observing us from a distance. But I think eventually they will. Eventually they will. It's been said that a great master will come. I, I think. I think. I think he'll come openly on a on a spacecraft. I think and show powers like Moses did in the old, like part the Red Sea. I think he. They'll. I think mankind needs something that powerful. As a demonstration, he, he probably won't kill anybody, but he will demonstrate powers uh, that will, and eventually, as lead people into this new age, this new spiritual age that's coming. And unfortunately, those who who don't heed that, uh, it's been said that after death, they'll be reincarnated on another planet to start over the uh, evolutionary cycle that we've created on this planet. So that's also been predicted as well. So another reason why. It's important at this time to rally and uh, and raise up, you know, en masse in peace. Uh, that's what's needed at this particular time. I agree. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss with us? I know we're kind of reaching a couple of pauses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I th- I think uh, personally, I think. That's that. That's we can, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I think I've said I've, uh, we've discussed pretty much what. I don't think I can go any. I mean, we can go into different aspects of life on other planets and all that. But if people want to do that, they can. And this isn't a uh, you know. It doesn't have to be. It's not a one time only type of yeah, thing yeah, as well. Because yeah, I've loved to have I, you I back and. Yeah, yeah, I think we can wrap it up. And I, I would suggest if people want to learn more about what we what I've discussed is maybe read my book, um, The Struggle for World Sanity. Um, they can get that on Amazon. It's on ebook, uh, print book, and uh, audio book. And also they can go to my website. I have a website called uh, wajidauthor.com, W-A-J-I-D-A-U-T-H-O-R. Uh, dot com. I think I think classic and gypsy. I think what we discussed is more than food for thought for your listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even for me. We don't want to go any deeper, you know. <laughs> yeah. But definitely want you to as far as we look forward to another conversation as well, because Absolutely. I know um one of the other co hosts that we have here, Mercedes, we um started having her once a week. I'm sure she would like to have some questions for you as well. Absolutely. On another, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to come back. Yeah, so we definitely. It's been a pleasure, pleasure having you, and even just talking with you, and just what I've learned is, yeah, it's definitely food for thought, even just for me. Yeah, and I look forward to talking with you again. Yep, definitely reading your book, and um, um for the yeah. listeners, thank you for listening. Um, you can find this podcast on all podcast platforms and also the video will be on American Gypsy YouTube channel. 
And thank you for listening. And Waji, thank you for being here. Any platforms they can follow you on? Yes, definitely. Let them know where they can find you. Uh, Yeah, they could go to my website, which is uh, wajidauthor.com, W-A-J-I-D-A-U-T-H-O-R.com, wajidauthor. And we'll have all of this information on the description for you. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. And thank you for everyone that's listening. Um, Definitely subscribe if you're not subscribed. And consistent self-improvement. Peace. Peace. Thank you.